All right. We got, uh, correct me if I'm saying this wrong, but Christopher Horstman here today. Yeah. Got, got it. Um, he is a, a personal trainer working out of San Diego. Um, I don't necessarily know a whole ton about you. I've kind of looked at your website and, and got a little bit of a sense of what you do, but that's really what we're here to kind of learn about is how you got to the place you are, um, kind of what you do now with your clients. And then we'll talk about kind of the, the shared connection we have and you learning uh, from movement as well. Um, but how did you get started kind of going into this like lane of a career? Uh, yeah, basketball, basketball. First of all, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm looking forward to to chatting about all this stuff with you guys. Uh, but yeah, basketball was my first passion. Um, played at uh, Fairfax High School in Los Angeles, played junior college, transferred to San Diego State and played as a walk-on. So I was a little in over my head. I probably belonged in a division two, but um, made it to the team at San Diego State and, and had an incredible time like practicing against the starters and um, given everything I could to make that team better. And, uh, and then played a little bit in the ABA, um, which is kind of a mess, um, pretty poorly run, but I wanted to keep playing against good competition and uh, got to play a little uh, stint in China as like a tour to try to get a job. Uh, possibly a blessing that I didn't get a job out there. I didn't really love being out there, but uh yeah, then came back in uh, at San Diego State. I was studying kinesiology. Was always easy for me to push myself and work out super hard. So that felt like a easy career to get into. Um, and yeah, started doing group fitness when I was still in school and then started doing personal training. Uh, got my CSCS after I graduated and kind of had the uh, goal to stick as close to basketball as possible. Um, as I was in the training field longer and around um, um, strength and conditioning, other strength and conditioning professionals and um, in the sport team setting, I uh, started to feel like I would rather uh, stick to helping any and everybody as best I could. Um, the higher up you go in sports, the more politics are involved and uh, the more BS you have to deal with. And so uh, I feel lucky to be in a position now where I have these nice fitness facilities in San Diego and have the luxury to be able to train whoever I want. So I have a football players, but most of my clientele is general pop, just people from all walks of life and uh, felt kind of serendipitous that I met Nate um, first of all, business names are kind of similar. <laughs> and with my business, uh, I have a big aspect of like discovering yourself and, and expressing your most authentic self, you know, as best you can through movement and learning about your body. And so, uh, Nate has started to give me a little bit of a blueprint of a way to do that. You know, I've felt very in tune with my own body, but it's a real, talent to be able to help other guide other people to do that. And I can admit that I don't have the greatest ability to assess other people. And so um, the methods that I've been exercising and practicing through move med have given me a little bit of a, a roadmap or a blueprint to start to figure that out. Appreciate you saying that. I'm glad that it's working for you at the very least. There's some contextual layover. Uh, I saw like good progress at the very least when we last saw each other a week ago and 
uh, you were able to uh, beat your ankle up the next day again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was like, cool. Thanks for that help. I'm going to go, uh, go test it out. <laughs> that's, uh, that's something I've done many times um, just throughout my like biomechanics journey of like finding new connections and being super jacked or super jazzed to like go try them out, test out the jets. Um, and I've done it multiple times where I've like sprained an ankle or I, I tore my Achilles essentially doing that. Cause I was like, I got new ankle range. Yes. And then I just <laughs> did way too much on it. Um, I think that's a probably, probably a common theme among, amongst people who are like kind of exploring this and exploring their bodies and like uh, a degree of detail that's probably more than your average consumer would ever want to. <laughs> For us, we're a little like uh, obsessive about it, I would imagine. And because of that, because we think that we can uh, push ourselves to the uh, our utmost athletic potential where we're looking forward to doing so. And then we have a hard time like reining ourselves back a little bit. Um, so you weren't necessarily like training while you were playing basketball, but I imagine now with kind of the knowledge that you have, you probably integrate a lot of your like workouts with a, a basketball, like level of athleticism in mind. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's still the most, like, if I, if I keep basketball in my mind during my training, that ends up being the most fun sessions. And when sessions are fun, they're, they're the most beneficial, you know, you're not grinding through it and you're enjoying the movement that you're doing. And so um, when I can imagine trying to make myself the best basketball player in the gym, uh, things seem to flow a little better. Uh, and yeah, workouts are just more enjoyable. I've seen you doing a lot more stuff on the playground uh, at one of your spots. Uh, the, uh, I don't know what you called it, but you called it like a, a games or something like that. And you got a lot, got a lot of people involved and you had a lot of, uh, I don't know, adults playing, which was cool to see because it was loaded stuff. There was uh, game type stuff, but it was uh, nice to see how much engagement you had accrued and just talking about it. And then a couple weeks later, sorry, uh, a couple weeks later, having been, so big yeah i was really uh excited about the turnout because i did that once before or uh, before covid i had that that casa fit games event um which is kind of play of a play on the crossfit games which is kind of funny because i've never really been into crossfit but i know a lot of people are so i was like maybe people will be jacked up about this you know yeah. and the first time i did it it was super heavy like olympic lifts it was like five exercises and i think maybe like six people did it <laughs> most people were like hadn't practiced clean and jerks you know and like didn't show up so this time it was like kind of strength training kind of obstacle course and a lot more people came out and there were some quite unfit people there which made me super excited to to see that at least they felt like they could come do it and and everybody who did it finished and so that that was a lot of fun, very rewarding too. Listen, dude. Is that your own space that you are running that stuff out of? Uh, so I manage that place. It's inside a apartment complex. Um, so technically, it's owned by the property management, um, which is actually the perfect situation because I don't have to worry about all the overhead stuff. I can just worry about putting on fun events for the residents and making sure everybody everything's good over there. Goodness. Awesome. Um, so you obviously like you graduated, I guess, with a kinesiology degree, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's called fitness specialist was like the emphasis. Gotcha. 
And did you, um, yeah, you kind of went through a similar like um, transition as me where you probably wanted to work with athletics as a Mm -hmm. priority and then decided that it's actually more rewarding and just more realistic to work with general pop. Um, With your like experience, like with the the early on training, like where was was most of your um, like education from? Were you mostly using stuff you learned in school or were you like going to different movement systems and learning from them to kind of give you your baseline of like training competence? Yeah, it was mostly stuff I learned in school. uh, And I would say I use maybe like 5% of that now. (laughs) But uh but yeah, very by the book in the beginning. And, and also I, I still uh, implemented a lot of stuff that, that I did just making stuff up as a kid, not having any training, uh, just like hill, like running hills and uh, just a mixture of things being in the sand and uh, boxing. So I would really try to implement a lot of different modalities with my clients, but not with much structure, I guess. Um, so workouts were, um, unique and a lot of variability, sometimes probably too much variability where, um, maybe some progress wasn't able to be tracked in some ways, but, uh, um, I was able to retain clientele at the beginning because workouts were fun and different. Um, but as I, as I, uh, moved down the line in my career, I started to get into WEC method a little bit, uh, stick mobility. I mean, with the help of the internet, I was able to dive into so many different modalities and then use what I like the most. And, and the other thing with my uh, system now is that, and working with Gen Pop clients is that I can implement a little bit more of like positive mindset um, as, 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 and with, um, athletes, it's like, you're so driven by numbers that there's really not a lot of time for anything else other than like, we got to get this, 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 and this done in 45 minutes so you can get onto the next thing. And so I really like being able to slow down with clients and talk about their feelings and that, those kind of things, you know, because that stuff matters. Yeah, that's, that's, predominantly what we what we do minus the uh sometimes languageable stuff like this means this to your body uh hope your brain understands that even if your ears don't yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so i had so many light bulbs go off in our sessions nate and like things that you texted me that i like screenshot and and look back on later i'm like wow yeah that that is making so many connections for me and that that was a key word that that Benjamin, you said earlier that I was thinking of before we got on this podcast was like the connections. There's so many different connections from the external world to the internal world and then internally within yourself from different areas of your body. And like, I feel like that's the biggest thing um, that MoveMed has helped with is just to start. There's infinite connections and it's piecing things together that I may have never connected, you know. Was there like a, a first one? that you can recall or is one that was early on you were like man I was missing that this whole time um maybe more just like a validation of uh you can be bigger than you are you know and like my whole life especially playing basketball maybe if I never played basketball I never would have felt this way but playing basketball I always felt undersized I grew late so I got to 6-3 which is still small in basketball circles but at least I look like a basketball player, but I was always underweight. And, and 
not just on the scale, but like I felt like it in games. I was getting moved easily and bouncing off guys and um, and tried tried to put on weight in different ways. But I, I think deep down, I never really believed that I could get bigger. And so I'm like excited right now because I because Nate has given me confidence that, you know, you should and you could be be bigger than you are. And it all starts with that belief. And along with, you know, getting circulation to the right areas. Um, that was another thing that like these junctures, the shoulders, the neck and the hips that provide blood flow to the rest to the extremities was something that I was like, oh, why, why did I never think of that? Like, maybe I have, I'm small in these spaces, therefore I'm small everywhere else, you know? That's, yeah, that's usually the thing I hear people picking up on, which is the, uh, um, we're bigger than we are. Uh, and I don't even know where I, I like first mentioned it, but there's, um, I don't know, there are aspects of things that I knew I could not coordinate unless I had more mass in areas, like I had more tissue to speak of. Mm -hmm. And I started to see like one, uh, especially where you can do it, I can't, it's like palming a basketball and I'm getting closer and closer the more I get a little bit of like meat behind the pinky, but dude, where this hand, like the gripping there versus the gripping here, it's so different from what I could do versus what I can do now. Mm -hmm. And to think that it still requires more tissue for me to be able to um, stabilize anything bigger than my hand is at present. Um, not just that, but uh, a number of <clears throat> things I found out after having uh, my own my own injuries, I started to like really, really slack in my posture. And I built out that little uh, postural hump. I forget what it's called uh, on my cervical spine. And my dad had it. And I was like, oh, well, I'm way too early on this one. I'm way too early on this one. I got at least like 25 years for this. Um, and so that was my focus. And I started really pay attention to what I needed to do to re, uh, reconstitute my neck a little bit. And with that dude, with me, even just trying to pull my neck back, it was like three inches of space that in the last two years I've, I've garnered because I was so slouched forward. I was so posturally restricted from, uh, head injury, like precipit, like not being able to actively advantage like what's going on around me so I had to like consciously look at it and for what I couldn't look at I had to protect mm -hmm. uh, most of us live in those injuries I imagine you have a number of those injuries having like you said you couldn't put on the weight but from uh, you still had the athletic wherewithal to like compete in those those frameworks so there's probably something inhibiting where you felt like you could posture up and where you felt like you could really um, expand into that tissue yeah yeah. And I, I like, I like being able to palm a basketball, but definitely my wrists and obviously my ankles from all the ankle injuries uh, are just, just small, you know, and any small knee or elbow that I would take to my arm or my leg would hit me deeper than it would hit anybody else. I just don't have a lot of meat there. So um, yeah. And another, another move med, um, technique or, or idea that was novel to me was being strong from the midline out. Like I have all these, these force vectors that I'm familiar with, but I ne never dawned on me to uh, create pressure into the torso from different angles and be able to build the rib cage out. That was something I never thought of in my training. 
and was like, yeah, like if the core is the center and, and your midline wants to be stable, yeah, you need to have muscle and strength and size and volume there to support everything else. Yeah, that was, that was the thing for me that um, felt like it gave me the capacity to feel bigger. And again, I play basketball as well. And um, on the court, I, I felt like I was starting to take up more space. Initially, once I started to do it, my like coordination, my, my dribbling, my shooting all went to shit. Cause I had to like completely reorient where I was like producing the force from and everything felt off because I was probably so distally like oriented. And like you mentioned there with like familiar force vectors, like the, the, the force vector going by somebody on that first step. Um, it just felt like instead of me thinking about like my hands going there, like leading with my shoulders, it felt like my center of gravity was what I could drive. And I didn't have to drive it so much around. I could drive it through people just because there was more like just more energy or more of a charge behind it. Yeah. And that's such a huge cue right there for, uh, for young basketball players. It's like, stop trying to go around people. You got to go by them, attack their hip. But if someone is, is undersized like that doesn't help them a lot you know unless they're super quick and even then they can still get bumped off the line so easily so that's nice that's that's, do you get to uh, work with a lot of like youth uh basketball players i did for a while right after i finished playing i was coaching a a team in carmel valley uh, called the san diego bulldogs and i honestly miss it a lot i love working with with youth basketball players because that um, playing basketball as a kid shaped me so much and I had so much fun doing that. And I'm, I'm really wanting to carve out some time in my schedule to get back into doing that in some capacity. So it, it's oftentimes a, uh, the coach at that age for a lot of kids that don't have it at home that provides that uh, first positive male role model or some measure of like <laughs> kids don't really know how to, boys especially don't know how to communicate outside of like a physical and very expressive environment usually at a young age and so seeing an adult that uh condones that kind of behavior or at least teaches you how to like be competent in that framework uh at least good for add kids and adhd kids (laughs) yeah there's a lot of like um a social connection that's much deeper than anything you're going to get in the classroom or in gym class just because one, you're kind of going to war with these people and you're like preparing, you're putting in a lot of time and effort with a, uh, with a singular task or with like a, a general goal in mind. Um, and if you don't have sports, maybe you have that through like being in a, like a band, like you're in like grade 11 band and you play the tuba or whatever, and you got to play your role, but that's, it's not nearly as physical of an output, although it still is, there's definitely a, a lot of value to that. Um, I imagine there's like artistic outlets for it, but yeah, being, being on a team or in a team sport environment at a young age, I'm sure did, did wonders for me. There's still a lot of things that could have been approved about my experience. Cause I had one of those like coaches who had been at the high school for 50 years and was still using like 1960s <laughs> education. We got really good at boxing out really good at uh, right-hand layups. Um, but there, there wasn't like a, there wasn't so much of a emotional support attached to it. There wasn't like a, the feeling of like movement expression attached to it. It was all very much like cut and dry. These are the fundamentals. You got to do these drills. Um, it wasn't nearly as enjoyable as like 
I would probably be able to make the experience for uh, a kid kind of knowing what I know and knowing what kind of an environment I would have liked to have had that would have just bolstered more confidence. And Chris, I know that's something you talk about like on your website and stuff that like you want to be feeling like your authentic self is being like bolstered by what you're doing. It's not being suppressed by what you're doing. Right. Yeah. So, so with that um, I've recognized that in training when I'm, when I'm moving and I don't have a structure to my movement, I'm moving. I, I have a, an hour or a day where I'm doing whatever I feel like doing, whatever my body feels like doing during and, and immediately after that session, I feel so much more expressive. Like there is no reservation to the things that I'm saying and what I'm saying, I feel deeply and Uh, if I go a period without allowing myself that I feel more reserved. I feel like I am less opinionated. I feel like I've become, which is part of my personality is like being very agreeable. I'm a peacemaker. You know, I want to get along with everybody, but a lot of times that doesn't serve me. And a lot of times that is a little bit of an inner conflict for me. Um, But I have noticed that um, if I'm moving my body in certain ways that feel really good after that, I'm like a little more open, a little less afraid to say how I really feel in certain situations. So that was a big uh, light bulb for me is like, this is an avenue where um, I can help discover, you know, my, my authentic self and express it. And now I want to try and help other people do that. So that's one of the big mainstays or at least where movement and you align quite heavily. I think one of the big things that uh, men have a tendency to do without being able to like uh, forgive themselves, I guess, is be uncomfortable uh, out loud because it makes a lot of people inherently uncomfortable because it's perhaps someone that they look toward uh, for comfort or whatever, someone that's usually very happy as you say you are. Uh, and then demonstrating that other side of things, the side that you don't want to feel, you assume other people will co- contextualize that feeling in their own respect. Similarly, uh, I found that because men have a tendency to, I guess, like externalize their emotions or equivocate them to feeling their body and the like, there becomes a dis. Uh, a misnomer or like a discongruity between if they stop playing sports, for example, and they no longer have that team camaraderie, there's some distinction of like, who and how do I manage these feelings if I don't have the same words or actions to describe them with. And I think that the biggest thing that uh, we can be bigger than we are, I think the value there is that uh, each of us respectively has a different size frame. Some of us are bigger, some of us are smaller. But respective of how we frame our neurology, it's a lot of things that uh, like uh, there's a lot of things that coincide with threatened behavior and being smaller in body. And if you have a tendency to not feel like you have the ability to be safe in an environment, there might be ways in which you'll perceive more environmental security, like tensing tissue and then walking into an environment with immediately act actionable tissue when you didn't necessarily need to be actionable but because you spent so much time like that it not not only didn't really get the time to really stretch and like build out how big it can be but it accrued a lot of that stress environment so a lot of cell waste and and the like didn't flush out uh 
Similarly, like the expression letting go, it comes with a lot of physical letting go sometimes. And most often letting go of like toxic relationships, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, those things might come with something physical feeling like, oh, I've purged something. So in anything that we frame with, we are emotional at the same time as we are thoughtful. So it's so important. It's so important that we can create like an embodied version of that without having to think about it, without having to process it through stimulus, but to have that, that body tell us by way of sensory feedback, how it speaks to our brain. Hey, this is how we are. This is how we feel. Don't worry about what's going on outside of you. We can manage it. And that's just relative being aware of some things you might have hindered yourself with for a long time. Being okay with that, forgiving yourself, and then moving on to these are the tools I need to use to be able to get over that hurdle. Yeah, beautifully said. Um, around the same time we were we were um, training, Nate, I have a friend up in San Francisco who, uh, an older guy who who's into like coaching men, and he, I would tell him how I was feeling at certain times, and he would he would always ask me where. He's like, where in your body do you feel this? Yeah. And so it was really cool. I mean, for a while I would try to tune in and like, I, I don't know, but after a couple of weeks, I was like, okay, this one's kind of in my tummy, you know, this, this one's in my, up higher in my chest. This one kind of feels like it's in my throat. Yeah. And, uh, it was cool to see those, those lining up with what we were doing. Totally. I mean, there's, uh, if you look at, I think it's uh, Adidas, they have some shoes that have the, um, insole laid with like all the um, not chakra points, but it's like the acupoints. Mm -hmm. And so it shows like the liver where it places on the foot and the like. Uh, however commercial it is for Eastern medicine to be practiced right now in the US, it's one of the more prevalent forms of medicine that exists in the world, meaning it happens more actively and more often and it helps more people uh, than uh, pharmaceutical medicine. And that's happened for like, as far as, uh, thousands of years and for, for its lifespan, it's been around and done more. And it's like where chiropractic also has a lot of its science, uh, based off of, but with less, um, energetics to speak of. Um, uh, my point in that was, uh, in everything that we qualify neurologically now, there was a different framework of qualifying it before and because it was more sensory or at least they didn't have the technology to be like this is giving us feedback here they went off the feedback they could resource off of what is this doing or whatever and it was oftentimes sensory stuff so i imagine the more that we build out our sensory mechanisms the more that we have the capacity to meditate the capacity to concentrate and relax because we are getting distracted by everything and it's very easy to be distracted by the increasing amount of things that there are available to us. Uh, but we all come back to the things that bring us back to ourselves. So it's significant when we can tool ourselves to not have to do an action or an extra one, two, three to get that. Oh, here I am. When your brain can tell the information the body is processing without having to be like looking down at it to like move it, to feel something interacting with it, just for it to know that it's there without having to do extra stuff or without having to pay extra attention. The brain is like uh, verifiably way more satisfied.
because it's having interaction with itself without having to exert more energy. And the more that we can become a fuel efficient computer, so to speak, where our processes happen without us having to code them, then we're reflexive or inherently like going with the flow. If people want to be a little bit more languid about it. Um, but yeah, all this contextualizes around feeling. If we have no awareness of feeling, then we are a byproduct of where we get, uh, if we're stressed, we have no process. We have no ability to be aware. And then otherwise we're awesome. <laughs> yeah. Another thing you told me that, that really clicked was your body's not going to add a lot of tissue or any tissue really if you're stuck in a stress state, because your, your brain is consuming so much of that energy, you know, keeping you stressed that why are they going to, there's none of that to delegate to, to building out any more tissue. So from stress to strong is, is mitigating the stress first and allowing your body to, to rest in that uh, parasympathetic. So other things can, can flow through it. Totally. It's a, uh, instead of feeling like you're in distress, it's orienting around your eustress factors, what your body can tolerate to varying degrees of efficiency or proficiency over time. Uh, and as you get better and better and better at like recognizing what your body's doing, like you're looking at the odometer and being like, I appreciate that. And then redlining and be like, I'm not going to do it too much. I'm not going to break you down, but I'm definitely going to play with how far I can take this. That's kind of what you have to do with your body. And then if you find that you've, you have a threshold that's way more uh, susceptible to injury, then you have to prepare around that. And that's, I think most people will avoid uh, doing the thing that seems the hardest, especially in areas that are more injured or more intolerant of growth, because fundamentally they have the least amount of coordination in them. This episode of the Monkey Bars podcast is sponsored by the MoveMed Introductory 5 for 5. Five exercises for five minutes each to connect and challenge your neck, shoulders, and hips while making your sitting, standing, and stress tolerance more resilient. Sign up for this free online course over at movemed.net. It's funny that you talk about kind of the, uh, the, the spectrum and, and being able to push it to the red line and just kind of understand like the spectrum of that scale a little bit more. If you're always here, it's not going to feel like redlining. It's going to feel like your normal state. Um, and if you're always here or you spend most of your time kind of more in that chill, maybe you're like, maybe you're still neurologically like here, but you're not getting the physical output to match it. Then that also creates like a, an expression that you're not really utilizing. So I've noticed in just doing a couple of weeks of like more standard weightlifting, I'm just going to the machines and just seeing how much load I can put on this one, like guided motion where I'm really not trying to coordinate much at all. All I have to do is push the thing um, that allows me to kind of like ramp up and to get more to that red line to a degree that I really couldn't when I'm um, trying to be more like technical or more controlled in my motion or, or I'm trying to find a new range of motion. That's like a different kind of output. And generally when I'm trying to find a new range of motion, I don't want to be there when I'm more so exploring like a, a range of motion that I have full control over and just seeing what output I can have. I can get to that red line. And I've noticed that, um, in the first like week doing it, it was really tiring and it was harder to get to the point where I wanted to keep pushing. And now just even after a couple of weeks of kind of re, um, refinding that end of the spectrum, I'm like, okay, I have a little bit more like intentional focus that I can gear towards this activity. 
and not even just this activity, but like outside of the gym, I'm like, oh yeah, there's kind of like a, a boost that this stuff gives you. Um, there's a reason why people feel really good after doing heavy efforts of any sort. Um, it is like a, a very direct, all of your energy goes towards this one thing and it has to for a certain amount of time and you can play with that. Um, it's been, been really interesting to, to feel that and makes me wonder why I completely ditched it for so long. Um, have you, Chris, have you like, um, you obviously did a lot of weightlifting, like in your basketball career, I imagine. Did you ever find that you wanted to take a break? Did you drink like the functional Kool-Aid and like back squats, bad deadlifts, bad. Um, did you go through a phase like that? Maybe you're still in that phase. I don't know. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I like most people, uh, want to be successful. Right. So I avoided the lifts that I didn't, I wasn't good at or didn't feel good to me. So back squatting, I ditched early on and was, I had that co-signed by one of my mentors. He's like, basketball players shouldn't back squat. They got long levers. And so I was like, cool, never going to do that again. Don't have to. Right. Um, but recently before this injury, I found a way to, to make it feel really good for my body and, um, not, not part of the never back squat camp anymore. Um, but, uh, that was really the only one, uh, that I kind of shunned for a while in your, like going through either movement or going through your own kind of process. Have you, um, developed more of an awareness of kind of where your like nervous system is, even as you're playing, like, will you maybe not go to the red line as uh, quickly as you did, or maybe now you're actually on the court a little more parasympathetic than you were before? Um, I can say that my emotion is much better regulated, possibly because I'm more aware of how uh, my emotion presents itself phys in me physically. Um, so I've, I've always ran, my emotions have always run high playing basketball as a kid. I cried after every loss. I was a terrible loser. I would throw fits. Uh, I would cry mid game sometimes if things weren't going my way and my coach would like take me outside, like pull it together, you know, um, and then in my adult life, that turned into a lot of shit talking. Uh, that was a, the game within the game for me. How could I piss this dude off? And um, But really, it was pissing myself off. <laughs> and I don't really uh, need to play angry to play better. I play better when I'm kind of zenned out. Um, so that was a shift that I recognized that I could play and still talk, talk a little bit, but have it be friendly, like kind shit talking rather than some disrespectful stuff, you know? And I was playing a lot better too. And before I sprained my ankle, I was like, I was feeling like I was in the zone every night. Um, and I think that was largely contributed to, um, just having better awareness of my emotional level, my kind of thermometer in a sense during games interesting to hear how people perceive themselves uh, or language with their brain and body differently as you call it uh how your emotional level like you're an emotional person or you live in your emotions i think i'm a little bit uh, on the analytical side but i find that uh i still have my emotions as like a heavy uh force i'm trying to regulate which is where like being more analytical gives me the safety or security in that so there'll be times where i'm like i I deficit to being too thoughtful and thereby don't get enough emotion out of the experience or get enough uh, of that limbic response or that reflexive response thinking I can think my way through it. Uh, 
recognizing that you are still uh, very limbic in it. It sounds like uh, a dance to you. It sounds like um, something that you get to be passionate in and you don't have to necessarily depend on your, your brain uh, language for as much. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, like I, I was at my sister's wedding this past weekend, which was really cool up in Northern California. And I cried like three times in the drive home from the wedding. And my girlfriend was in the passenger seat. Like, are you crying again? I, was like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know why. <laughs> it was beautiful, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, let it go. Just allowing yourself to feel. A lot of dudes don't have that luxury. At least they've never seen it done or they've never. I don't think I ever saw my dad cry. Uh, and if I did, it was like so. Uh, I don't know, like uh, restricted or like closed off that it wasn't something that you could like classify as like he's really letting go. He's really letting himself go right now. This is a good cry. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing worse than a bad cry, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, like, this could have been really refreshing. It feels like this is making me want to do it more. <laughs> yeah. Like a ruined orgasm. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> uh, I think the biggest thing for uh, men in general, at least from my perspective, is that coming to terms with that, uh, it, like when I've, trained a bunch of different dudes i found that a lot of them however masculine they are in their habits they find that they have a difficulty in being able to express themselves in like male terms because they don't have uh an environment that either keeps up to that level or degree of intensity or they've never had like enough dudes around that are of their age that are not uh that are up to the challenge i guess and so in some capacities men for some respect hold themselves a little bit more small and tense and it may be like whatever like muscles that guide you to start we hold on to and cling to first uh but i think there's some nothing more valuable than uh dudes becoming aware of and capable of languaging through how they feel and what it is they want to like do with their feeling instead of just being driven by it because there's a uh a time and a place for it. And when you can put it to passion, that's exactly what it needs to be for. And when you can feel your feelings and cry on the drive home, that's exactly what it needs to be for. And it's a shame when we don't get to feel that. And oftentimes it's like mirror stuff, what we've seen, what we've been allowed to process. And uh, for anyone, uh, any of those dudes that don't cry out there, (laughs) Uh, David R. Hawkins, a book called Letting Go is a great start. I think I recommended it to you as well, didn't I? Yep, I've read it. Yep. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. We need more more models out there to uh to let it go and, and let other let younger men see it and know mm-hmm. that it's okay and not be ashamed of it. Yeah, we need less repressed dudes. Less repressed people in general. Yeah. But yeah, dudes seem to be the ones that when they're repressed, they cause a little bit more damage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yep. (laughs) Um, Before we go, because I want to wrap up pretty soon. um, Chris, I was was interested in just getting your take uh, on again on your website. It says 
that um, it's very easy to get wrapped up or lost in the sea of health and fitness stuff. And that you think a, a good trainer really masters the fundamentals as a priority and is able to kind of teach their clients um, what those are. Um, what are those to you? And wh what are some things that you find yourself taking most people through, especially in those first couple sessions? Great question. Um, yeah, those, those have changed for me over the course of my career, for sure. Like I said, I started off by the books and like, we'll go FMS screen, you know, and, um, <laughs> and those kind of things were the fundamentals initially. Um, but with the help of move med, you know, the core, the torso, the trunk and the midline, um, are the center of it all and, and where I, I start now. Uh, so posture without even having them move too much yet i'm looking at how they hold themselves how they're standing um and i try to make my assessments uh undetectable you know like we're i'm having them do movements that where they they're not seeing it as as an assessment right i'm not okay i'm gonna look at you do an overhead squat no i, I try to get them into um dynamic movements where i can see i can look at their joint angles and how they're what they're using to accomplish the task, yeah. right? And the task could be different every time. Um, so that's a little bit new for me. That's something that I'm starting to do in my training. So uh, I'm also learning in that by seeing more, more people move through those, uh, whatever movements I have them do. Um, but I'm watching for uh, what's leading the movement, right? Are they, are they, dominating with the extremities are they very heavy into the hands and feet or are they able to coordinate from the hips or the shoulders or the trunk and um, yeah so those those are my that's where I start now and also like the isometrics and the positional isometrics are something that I didn't use at all when I first started training I remember one of my best friends asked me uh, when I was still in school, he's like, what are isometrics used for? I'm like, honestly, dude, I don't know. <laughs> uh, just a different training stimulus, but yeah. um, they're so useful in, in, in helping clients and people understand where tension is. And uh, you can, you can bring your awareness to a hundred different areas in one position over the course of a positional isometric. And so those have been super useful as well nice do you find most of your clients like take it pretty well do you have some that are like kind of more body aware and they pick it up and then you've got others that are like less body aware and it's more of a stressful experience and maybe you have to like tone it down a little bit for them um a little bit of both and a little bit of like so not tuned in that it's just boring they're like why are we doing this i'm paying you for like to come move you know <laughs> And so it's, uh, it's, you know, I, I do my best to, to pitch my case, but also they are paying me for the hour. And if they want to move, I'll get them moving faster than I would have wanted to, you know? Um, okay. And then lastly, uh, cause you brought it up and I think there's probably an interesting story or two. What was your experience like over in China and how long were you there for? <laughs> Culture shock. I grew up in LA where I, which is a melting pot of different races and, I had never, and it never even crossed my mind that I could be somewhere where there was all one race. I mean, that sounds so silly, but I was like, oh, everybody's Chinese, like everybody. <laughs> uh, the air quality was awful. And like people were smoking cigarettes in the arenas. It's like, 
couldn't get a breath of fresh air anywhere. Um, what was your second question? Uh, I was just wondering how long you were there for. Oh, for three weeks, um, three weeks. And we played a couple different teams. We traveled around and it was a small province in China called Hunan, not Wuhan, but Hunan. And, uh, it was fun because the arenas were like packed. People were just stoked to see Americans play, even though we weren't that great. Um, but the games were good. They were close. And I had one really good game where I was like seven for eight from three. I was just bombing. Like as soon as I touched it, it went up. I probably dribbled twice the whole game. It was like Clay Thompson stuff. Yeah. And I missed the game winner at the buzzer in overtime. Mm. So that hurt, but that was a super fun game. Tough. The uh, the cigarette smoke probably got the best of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like playing a uh, basketball in a casino. Yeah, that's totally what it was like. Our owner was 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 terrible, and he had he had no like interpersonal skills, relationship skills, and he like pissed off the the couple that was hosting us, the Chinese people that were hosting us, and like paying for everything. And like he went up to them at one of our breakfasts and like threw money in his lap, and I was like that doesn't look good. And the guy like started cussing him out in Chinese. And I was like, I, w- I think they still have our passports. I'd like to get those back before we start throwing stuff at each other. <laughs> and, then, and then they didn't want to give us any game film because they didn't like our owner. They wouldn't give us any of the film, which I mean, maybe one or two of us would get a job, but the film was super important to be able to give to other teams to show, you know, our skills. And so I literally went to the coach, like one of the guys' rooms and was like, I know our owner's an asshole. Like I'm willing to pay to get the game film for my teammates, you know, and he gave it to me, but yeah, that was, the the trip had everything. We went to a, uh, we went to a karaoke bar, which is really popular out there. And we got, we got duped out there. Like they gave us a bunch of liquor and sent a bunch of girls in the room and like nothing happened. They were just hanging out with us. And then they billed us for every girl that was in there. Every, every beer we drank, like a lot of money. We were like, we don't have, this money they're like well you're not leaving till you pay us <laughs> That's oh, so it's yeah. not very often you get a receipt handed to you with like girls as one of the items <laughs> yeah yeah they were like they put us in a room and then they're like wait a second let's put them in the, the, the grand master like the giant room we were like oh sweet we got upgraded and then like oh, oh girls too sweet all right and then we left they were like yep yep you owe us for everything <laughs> so dirty Thank you.